Welcome to the Mike Dillard Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs like you get the knowledge and skills that you need to bring your dreams to life. Well, gang, during my health challenges over the past year and the insane amount of insomnia caused by the toxic mold that had overtaken my body, I tried anything and everything that I could that might allow me to get any amount of sleep. I tried dozens of supplements. I started using an aura ring to track my sleep. I installed blackout shades in all of my windows. I meditated for almost an hour before bed every night. I started wearing blue light blocking glasses. And you know what? All of these things provided some kind of benefit, but very few helped as much as a product called the Chili Pad. Now, I heard about the Chili Pad from Tim Ferriss probably a year or two ago and that he'd become a massive fan of the product. So naturally, I purchased one as well, and it has been a game changer. So if you're not familiar with it, the Chili Pad circulates warmer cold water through a pad that you place underneath your sheets, and it keeps your body at the ideal temperature that it needs to fall into a deep sleep pattern, which is when your body restores and heals itself. Well, I have to say that I was absolutely thrilled to get the chance to interview the founder of the company, Tara Youngblood. I had so many questions for her about the inspiration for the invention of the product, the manufacturing process, patents, marketing, shipping, customer service, and every single thing in between. She answered all of those questions and so many more in one of the most valuable interviews that we've ever had here on the show. And this interview is absolutely priceless for any of you who have an idea for a physical product. If you are just thinking about it and putting ideas onto paper, this is going to be perfect for you. If you're starting to get into the design or manufacturing phase, you absolutely have to listen to this interview. But beyond the practical wisdom that she's going to share with you today is an incredibly important message. They launched the Chili Pad about, gosh, 10, 11, 12 years ago, if I remember correctly, and it didn't really catch on and start to sell until about three years ago. But once the word got out, their business 10 x for the last three years in a row. This is such a fantastic story, and it was so awesome to get to talk to the inventor of a product that I've been using every single day as a customer. So at the end of the show, I asked her if she'd be willing to give you guys a discount on a Chili Pad system for your bedroom. And she graciously offered it to give all of y'all a 20% discount off of a system. But I have to say, this was a spur of the moment ask on my end. It just kind of pulled it out of the air at the end of the show. So she did not have a coupon code prepared to give you. So I'm going to give you one now. Thankfully, I've been able to secure that for you through their team. And so if you want to save a 20% discount on a chili pad system, just go to getchilipad.com. That's C H. I-L-I, pad, so getchilipad.com. And during the checkout process, use the coupon code MIKE20. So that's M-I-K-E-2-0, no spaces or anything else like that. Uh, It is an absolutely amazing product and an absolute steal when you consider the amount of improved sleep that you're going to experience night after night for years and years and years to come. So with that being said, please help me welcome Terry Youngblood. Terry Youngblood, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Great. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a customer of yours. I'm super excited to hear the story about the chili pad and your background and how you invented this product and brought it to market. I I jumped at the chance when your name came across my desk and we had an opportunity to do an interview with you. So I'm super excited. Thanks for the time today. Yeah, I can't wait to share the story. It's it, I think it's kind of fun. Well, let's uh, yeah, let's dive in. How did this whole thing begin, and specifically your your career as an entrepreneur? I'd love to know all of the background pieces. 
Yeah, so honestly, some of it starts with the fact that Todd and I met on the very first day of college, Todd being my husband, and we were both engineering managers for three days. He lasted (laughs) through three days and then opted out and went into business, and I stayed in the engineering physics side. So it really became a good mesh between in-product development of that engineering and then business part. The other part that's kind of fun is that Todd's uncle invented the waterbed. So after school, we went and worked for him and really deep did a deep dive into product development. And that's where I think we got the little bit of a taste for it. It's never really escaped after that. So we did that and did some corporate stuff for a few years. And corporate stuff is okay, but we definitely both had an entrepreneurial and product design bug. So we went on our own in 2000, mostly starting consulting because we didn't have a lot of money. So we would consult for other products and design other products for other people to start. By the time we came up with the Chili Pad in 2007, we'd probably brought over 50 different products to market. So we were pretty good at figuring out market niches. We saw Chili Pad as a, a great market niche at that time. If you remember, Select Comfort was talking about individualized comfort. We kind of take it for granted, but that's where it started. They started those different sides of the bed conversation, dual zones for pressure. Tempur-Pedic was talking about pressure. Also, at the same time, the car industry was doing those microclimate controls for your car where the driver and passenger could have different temperatures. And Todd and I did not sleep at the same temperature. So we thought, oh, this is, this is definitely something we could do. This would be really great to be able to adjust the temperature in your bed. So we did. And amazingly, when people started sleeping on it, they ended up having more than just that comfort effect. They ended up having great sleep architecture effects. And so that's where my sleep research, I went super geeky on it and had to figure out the science behind why this temperature thing was as cool or magical as it was. So walk me through your business model real quick. You you mentioned you'd help bring, I think it was 30 plus products to life. What does that mean? Did you invent them and help other entrepreneurs and then sell the product off or how did that work? Yeah. So the, the market was kind of interesting. We were one of the sort of first individuals where we would take Asian factories that had some capacity for manufacturing, but maybe not a refined product, certainly not a product that was ready for the US market. We had had some context of being able to do this in a corporate setting. And so those those factories were starting to get a hint that they wanted to maybe have their own presence in the US. So we really consulted primarily for the Asian side and took a product. One of our longtime customers, who's still a customer on our other business, is a foam company. So they made a great foam product. They still do. But they wanted to get into life jackets and they wanted to make other more finished goods because they could make more money on that end. So we would do the market research and analysis and find other markets based on their product expertise that they could potentially go into. And then we would help them in China sort of set up if they needed a cut sew factory, we would help figure that out and then set up the quality control standards so that they could get it into market here. And then on the side here, this is really where Todd's magic is, but he would work with, I think he's, we worked with every major retailer from Walmart, Target. Sam's Club, Costco, all of those guys, and we would get it sold in there for them. So really kind of a sales rep, but a real sort of full supply chain integration of from the idea all the way through to getting it into market. We did the packaging, all the pieces of it, because 
being an Asian supplier, they couldn't really make the quality of Asian packaging required. So we kind of owned it soup to nuts. So we got pretty good at that market. Are you getting paid as a consultant? Are you getting that plus equity? What did that look like? So for the most part, we would start into that really as a consultant, but then we would get a percentage of sales if we took that particular part all the way to the end. So we got Got paid on that front end of sort of to refine the market and get it all the way done. And then once it was sold into a a certain place, then we would get a percentage of sales, like a sales rep at that point. Okay. Gosh, I wish I I had known you a few years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I developed my first physical technology product for the very first time and had no idea what I was doing and got it through to the prototype stage after going way, way over budget. And you know, when I asked the, the de- industrial design firm that I hired to, to help me design it and build it, how much longer it was going to take, they said, oh, another two to three years and another two to three million dollars. And that was the end of my, <laughs> that was the end of my run as a product developer. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what stops a lot of people. You know, I think doing business in China, especially in this particular political climate, gets a lot of bad rap. But, you know, we've really utilized that relationship to the fullest. We do pay for certain parts of it now so we can own the tooling or own the development or own the patent. But, you know, especially in the early years, especially in things weren't really as patent a bowl, like you're making a pool float, it doesn't matter as much. Mm. You know, we would we would co-develop a lot because it was just really cheap. It was a way to get that, you know, expand that engineering base to work on something and we'd work on different recipes or different materials. And we were able to get it done relatively cheaply compared to other metrics. So we were, we were pretty scrappy. Yeah, no, I mean, I, that was my biggest mistake looking back at that experience is that I should have had someone with y'all's knowledge on the team. And I didn't even know what tooling was until it was time to start talking about it. And then I was like, what do you mean I need another $500,000 in tooling? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And I, I think the other myth that a lot of people make when we've done consulting over the years is actually designing to the manufacturing idea. So what happens is people will come up with a beautiful design, but then the tooling and the barriers to that manufacturing process make it really expensive. And you know, you always have to be in a cycle of product development. So you're going to be competing with someone at some point. You just have to make that assumption. And if you're not aware of what your costs are at all times, someone can easily come in underneath you. So we really work hard on that manufacturing metric to make sure we're looking at all aspects of when we do this, how much does it affect that manufacturing process as well? Yeah, very cool. So when it comes to ChiliPad, did y'all design and invent that product or was it already in existence in Asia and you licensed it and brought it to the US, but what, what did that look like? So I, very similar to the model that we talked about it, we saw something that would be considered a, a single zone chili pad-esque mm. item. It uses used some TECs and a really basic water pump. What is TEC? So TEC is a, a like a Pelche chip. It's a thermoelectric device. What happens is there's actually two metals that are sandwiched together. And when you run electricity through one way, it gives off heat. And when you run it through the other way, switch the polarity, it gives off cooling. This has been used for computers since the 70s. Mm. So it's not really, that part's not really new and exciting. And it uses a heat sink, which you may have heard of, and that takes the heat away. But the beauty of it is it's 
a relatively energy efficient way to remove heat from an equation. Mm. And it's much quieter than a compressor. So if you could imagine, <laughs> we're trying to be in the sleep environment. So that air conditioning compressor that does your whole house, it doesn't slam bam job on your refrigerator, your house, your freezer, it clicks on and off and is pretty darn noisy. So not a good sleep option to, to cool people with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I heard about ChiliPad through Tim Ferriss a few years ago. You know, he's always doing his biohacking stuff. And then I'm sure Dave Asprey mentioned it a few times. I had a very, very serious bout with insomnia over the last year that I won't get into because my audience is probably tired of hearing of me talk about it at this point. But <laughs> I tried anything and everything that would help me get to sleep. So naturally, I bought a chili pad and it's been great. Use it all the time, uh, every night. And so I'm a, a big fan of the product. What did it look like when you guys brought it to market? Do you have background in marketing, did it kind of just take off on its own word of mouth? No, this has definitely been an uphill push. I really feel like getting Chili Pad where it is today is a little bit of an Everest hike. And I do think this is this is where it separates entrepreneurs mm. that are in it for the long haul versus the short haul. So in 2007, again, when I talked about that market niche, it seemed like it would be a good fit. Most people weren't really talking about temperature and sleep. Sleep as a subject is actually pretty young. So 20 years ago, your primary care physician probably spent 10 minutes or less on their whole residency talking about sleep, like very little, like it just wasn't part of the conversation at all for health. So there's been a pretty big change in that 20 years on just the amount of sleep research, what's being researched, what we know about sleep. That's been pretty phenomenally different in 20 years. And we were part of that upslope. But in, at that point, people were like, well, I don't know. And I, I don't think they totally understand it, understood the power of temperature and sleep for sure. So it's been a pretty good push. You know, the other thing that we struggled with is sleep doesn't have a store. There's not a particular place you go to fix your sleep. And immediately everyone says, oh, it's a mattress store. But Mattress really is a piece of furniture. It goes in your bedroom as part of your bed, not your sleep room. It's the only room in the house we don't name after activity. We name it after a piece of furniture. And the mattress really is this piece of furniture. And it is kind of about sleep, but not really. It's not about changing anything. It doesn't interact with you. It's not part of that solution as much as it just serves its purpose a like a couch. place to lay down. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Kind of like a couch. So, you know, that's we tried to sell through brick and mortar. In mattress stores, that was really our first go-to-market. Brookstorm did better for us, but there wasn't really a great home for it. And honestly, when we decided to fire all of, most of our brick-and-mortar kind of spots and just go all e-commerce, go all in, learn everything we could about being an e-commerce business, that was a huge win for us. Suddenly, I know e-commerce feels like it has a short space of education. But we could really tell our story. We could tell what it does. We could tell how it affects your sleep and be able to convey that way differently and have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the customer in a way that when you sell it through brick and mortar, once you sell it to that retailer, you don't have control over that end story with, with the consumer. And that's really made all the difference for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And let's talk, let's talk about the effect on sleep real quick so people can really understand what this product is, what it does, and, and why people like myself use it. Yeah. So I, the magic really is in that temperature. So your brain actually has a sleep switch. 
It's located in the hypothalamus, which I like to call the old part of your brain, which is evolutionary old, not necessarily Mm -hmm. old because your brain is obviously all the same age as you. And that's the unconscious part of your brain. That's where your heart rate and your breathing and whether you're thinking about it or not, you'll still have your heart rate beating. So it all is located in that unconscious part. And the sweet spot about that is that you don't have to think about temperature triggering it. The bad part about it is you don't have to think about temperature triggering sleep. So right now, our environment is constant all the time. We set our temperature in our house usually the same day and night, season to season. Our car is the same temperature as our house. Our office is the same temperature as all of those. And we don't spend that much time outside with any sort of change in temperature. So when you think about the fact that sleep is triggered by temperature, that's a pretty big miss that we're missing out in our lives right now. And so what happens when that is triggered by a change in temperature, and that's where having some sort of change in temperature as you start to go to sleep really helps trigger the release of melatonin. It helps put you to sleep. The other magical thing that temperature does, and in this case, it's really cooler temperature, and people think, oh, I don't want to sleep cold. But once you're asleep, and when I say cooler, I mean cooler than body temperature because the temperature under your covers in your mattress with your blanket on top of you really reflects that body temperature, not really your room temperature. Mm -hmm. So although you may set your room temperature to 68 degrees, that doesn't really reflect what your sleeping environment is. It reflects what your head is doing, not everything else. So we really want to consider the temperature of where our body is, and we want it cooler than body temperature, somewhere south of 86 degrees. Now, that really depends on BMI and gender and and preference. Below that, you know, there would be some body metrics that go into play there. But if it's cooler than that, what will happen to your deep sleep architecture is amazing. So deep sleep, there's three types of sleep as a general basis, deep sleep, light sleep, and REM sleep. And deep sleep is that one that's most associated with feeling rested the next day. It's where a lot of your health, recovery, growth hormones, that all happens during deep sleep. And unfortunately, it diminishes with age. So we start out at 20. If we sleep eight hours, we get about two hours. And by the time we're 80, we may get none. So depending on where you are in that health scale, it may drop off and suddenly you're not getting any sleep. So even if you're in bed, you're not feeling rested, you still feel tired. That's really talking about the loss of deep sleep. So being cooler there, that's where our sweet spot is. The newer product, Uller, actually can warm you up in the morning. So it could be a little warmer than that. And that really helps with REM sleep. So again, you don't necessarily want to be all the way up to body temperature, but if you can be a little bit warmer, your circadian rhythm is actually starting to warm back up as you wake up. And actually that signals the release of cortisone and other sort of wake up hormones. Yeah, I would recommend folks too, if you're if you're interested in picking one of these up, I would get the new Uller model. It's a little bit more expensive, but it has a lot more functionality. And that that feature alone is worth it because I have the the original model and I lost the remote to it. So it, how long does it go by default? 10 hours when you hit start? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I'm awake and it's still rocking and I'm, I'm pretty cold at that point when, when you're awake. And so having it automatically warm up over a time schedule would be great. So I'm, I'm going to have to upgrade at some point. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think I know somebody. I think I can figure that out. <laughs> cool. Uh, so yeah, it's been huge. And then I wear an aura ring. So I track all of my sleep data. And I can see my deep sleep, my REM, my light sleep. I can see my body temperature. And the biggest wake-up call for me around this product is the fact that I sleep on a Tempur-Pedic foam mattress, which holds a lot of heat. 
it basically turns into an oven. And I used to just sleep without any covers on at all. And this product has really helped me or really saved me the amount of money I would have had to spend going and buying a new mattress that didn't have that kind of heat profile. So it's made a huge difference. Oh, great. I love hearing those stories. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a Tempur-Pedic mattress, foam mattress, and it's always getting hot, this will be a game changer for you. So from a marketing perspective, walk us through, you, you gave us a little bit about the story, but walk us through what has worked the best for you. What have been the biggest wins? And were they wins that came from y'all and your marketing ideas and campaigns directly? Or was it endorsements from you know customers like myself or Tim Ferriss or, or Asprey or people like that? So I really think this story is a combination of both. You know, we've, as business owners over the last 20 years, it's really been important about those relationships. So we work really hard with our factory relationships and other relationships. So I always feel like as a business owner, like don't burn something because you never know when you might need it. That's Mm -hmm. like a big part of our philosophy. But I do feel like we've been really blessed with the fact that this is such a magical product. So in 2017, we took on a group of investors and we really took them on because they are those kind of influencers. And Dave Asprey is part of a syndicate that is part of that. But it was really Rick Rubin, the music producer, was one of the key parts of that. He sent us an email and said, what can I do to be a part of this? How can I make this a better product? Because if it breaks, I can't live without it. So that's kind of fun that we were like, yeah, let's do something. He had never done product before, so we kind of put a group together. So we have a board of advisors and a board of directors that are all like users and lovers of the chili pad. And I think that's really been the secret sauce is that the professional teams that use it, we have teams in every professional sport, Olympics teams around the world that use it. We have military groups that use it in multiple countries. And it really does boil down to that word of mouth. So a lot of those efforts, we've been really fortunate, a lot of strength and conditioning coaches, sleep doctors around the world uh, sort of share that this is a secret sauce. It really is that Tim Ferriss tools of Titans kind of philosophy. It's a sleep isn't something everybody talks about, but if you're a type A and you want to get to be an A plus, you're going to look for every little bit that helps. And sleep is definitely an amplifier for success. Yeah. Now, <laughs> you don't you don't realize how valuable it is until it's go- it's gone. <laughs> so, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, continuing on that on that line, you know, we've got a bunch of entrepreneurs who are listening to this who are all into growing their businesses and online marketing. What has been really effective for you guys? Is it is it paid ads? Do you do a lot of paid advertising campaigns and retargeting? Is it affiliates? Is it you know, an ambassadors? Or is it maybe doing some paid influencer you know, posts? What have y'all done? What have you experimented with and what's been effective? I feel like we've experimented a lot. I do feel like affiliates, they probably make up a, a good chunk of our business now and it continues to be a big part of how to share that message. So I do feel like that is a growing segment of that conversation. And it does seem to be trending. It used to be Facebook and now it's much more Instagram. It used to be really big influencers and now there's a lot of micro influencers. So what I say today could be obsolete tomorrow or have evolved into whatever that next Instagram is or where that's heading. 
I do think that's part of the chase of e-commerce. It's really hard as a small business to keep up with those trends. And uh, we do a lot of shows. We, we connect with people. Again, it's the relationships. We ask other people what's working for them, try to match ourselves to, we kind of use it like a scientific study and twin ourselves to another business or business model that is similar to ours. What are they doing? How does it work? Follow their ads. What are they using in their ads? Uh, we do a fair amount of that sort of measure, you know, test, measure, test again, over and over again. Very cool. What has been some of the biggest challenges that you guys have run into? So we're constantly chasing inventory. That's part of the, there's a plus side to doing business in China. The downside is it's 90 days if we miss our inventory forecasting. Mm. So that's really hard for us to catch up if we have a big hit. And I, I think right now we're, we're 10xing every year. So that also creates a dynamic challenge of how to continue to self-fund. We have a high standard for ourselves, although we did take on those investors. We have run profitably the whole time and we, we hold ourselves accountable to run profitably the whole time. So we're constantly looking at all of those numbers. We use a book called Traction. It was an entrepreneurial sort of plan. Mm -hmm. I'd highly recommend it for anyone that's trying to figure out. And it just really looks at like big rocks and numbers and what your metrics are. There's a lot of power in owning those numbers, understanding where they come from. And it allows you to test and retest really easily if you if you know where you are. And sometimes you'll make mistakes like the inventory one. We we chase that one a lot. Yeah. Have you have you ever gone on back order? Oh yes. <laughs> yep. So we honestly that's a great manufacturing Uller, which is the new one we were talking about. You know, we decided with Uller, we'd always manufactured in China. We'd done some hybrid ones when we were doing pool floats and bean bags. So we decided to try manufacturing the pad in the U.S. And our U.S. supplier basically couldn't get enough workers to do the job. So they promised us 500 units a week. We're like, okay, it's starting out. That should be fine. And then they were going to up it to 2,000. They didn't get 50 out a week. Wow. So way, way under. So, you know, we found out two weeks before launch that they weren't going to hit their targets and we weren't going to hit launch. So we scrambled to find another backup manufacturer. We set up manufacturing in China. We did those all at the same time. But yeah, Uller was, should have been an amazing launch, but it definitely, it took us about a month and a half, which in the scheme of things is not bad as a, as a business that promised launch. It hurts to miss that. Sure. You set all those expectations and it's like, oh. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, the difference between the two there's a couple of features, but walk people through those. I think the main one is is the dual zone, but I'd rather hear from you. Yeah. So Chile actually has two zones as well. You can get it single zone if you want, um, if you only want to do one side of the bed. But we really look at Chili Pad. It's a legacy product. It's like your traditional thermostat you set for your house. You're going to set it, forget it. It'll stay on the temperature you set it at until you change it to another temperature. So it's, it's, just, it's just the constant workout course. The Uller has all of the learnings that we learned from ChiliPad. And so we've combined multiple fan speeds because people like their white noise at different speeds and different mm. decibels. And so we have multiple fan speeds. It's a little bit more energy efficient. We were able to drop 20 watts of usage. And, you know, that scheduling feature that we talked about, 
when we first started, where it's really more like a nest would be to your original thermostat or any sort of programmable one, where you have the option to really personalize that sleep equation. Yeah, awesome. All right. I'm, I'm sold just on the white noise piece again. <laughs> so, <laughs> very cool. What advice do you have for everybody who's listening who has an idea for a physical product and they want to bring it to life, but they've never done that before? Obviously, they're, they're likely going to be on a budget. Essentially, this is where I was four years ago when I was inventing my hydroponic system. I didn't have a mentor or a consultant to talk to. I really was just picking up the phone, cold calling industrial design firms, trying to figure out things on my own. Obviously, I would not recommend that people do that. So now that I have someone with your level of expertise on the subject matter here, what would you suggest that they do? If they're really just starting from scratch and they're going to bring it to life. It's the, the commitment is there, uh, but they want to do it intelligently. I do think in this online world that the access to mentors or people that are like you is much easier than it was even five years ago. Part of that sort of affiliate, there's some great you know business people to follow on podcasts. I would do your research and find that mentor. It is super important to have mentors along the way. You may outgrow mentors. We have over the years of mentors that helped us when we were a totally different size in a different space. We do a lot of boot camps. That's the other thing that we love and fully believe in. You do a short burst of all you can learn in a short amount of time. And yes, they can be expensive, but you can usually find ones of expertise within your range. And I would highly recommend looking to see who might be doing a boot camp or even ask someone. You'd be surprised. We asked even just business people that we really respected. Hey, do you have a day? We'll pay you your day rate. What would that be? to come and we can ask you questions all day and help us solve our problems and use their experience. We did that a couple times as well. You know, there's there's ways to get there. Join your local entrepreneur kind of groups or organizations. Find a way to, to find other people like you. There's real power in having other people to talk to, especially when you hit a brick wall. Now, what would people search for when it comes to a physical product development, right? Like digital marketing, I'm here. There's a hundred other people who can help teach digital marketing to people. But on the physical product side, like I just typed into Google industrial design and that's where I started. Not probably not the best place to start. So what what do you think people should Google to find those mentors or consultants or helpers? Yeah. So I, I would honestly find another small business that makes something, even if it's just the same kind of scale as yours. So for us, we would go and look at a, a store and look on the back of the packaging, figure out where it was made. Usually the way packaging works is it has to say where it was made. It may fit, say the manufacturer, but it'll usually say designed by or who made that product. We then do the research on backwards of like, hey, I wonder what they're doing, how they're doing it. Depending on the company, sometimes they're approachable, sometimes they weren't. But you know, really try to figure out how are they doing it? And how can I be like them? And we use a lot of mimicry when we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. You know, one of the challenges that I, I found not knowing what I didn't know is I ended up hiring a great industrial design firm called Whipsaw in Silicon Valley. They've done a mm. lot of beautiful products. Mm -hmm. They're like best in class. And the, the challenge is I didn't know enough about the design and manufacturing process to understand that changing the idea or the design 
of the product as it was coming to life was going to have that kind of impact on the time frame and the cost, right? Um, yeah. So, <laughs> measuring three so, times. Yeah, I would, I would definitely say with that, what we did to sort of hack the system is Upwork, places like that, you get pretty good CAD drawings of mm. something. And they can take a sketch or an idea and work very cheaply with someone to get it partially baked. And then honestly, with we started before there was Alibaba or a lot of those search things. And I would talk with like a, a manufacturer. A lot of the manufacturers with a CAD design will give you a ballpark pricing. They'll give you ballparks on tooling. You can start to kind of do the research of what that manufacturing could look like. What's your minimums? Because then you know what you have to accomplish. So we would usually create, find out what our minimum order quantity was required to be. And then we'd go and sell it to somebody. And once we had that, what we called a sponsor retailer or sponsor person, that usually helped us get that first order. And that was in the brick and mortar stage. So you do need that first order quantity if you're going to do e-commerce. But if you can find a retailer that you can sell it to, that's one of the ways we first got it is we buy find someone who could buy a container quantity. That was usually the minimum of the factory. And we match payment ter terms in order to basically self-finance that and get that first order started. And then once we were actually rolling it, then we could manage the inventory better. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. The The biggest the biggest lesson I learned, if I could go back in time, is execute all of this on paper as much as you can over and over and over and over and over again and iterate it on paper before you start writing checks. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> so. You really have to own that first half of it. And it's hard. Any Like anything you're starting from scratch, you want to... It's like painting a room. You want to see it all done before you're halfway done painting. You're like, well, what is it going to look like? And it's hard to be patient to wait for that to get as fully baked as you can, but you doing it is way cheaper than paying someone else to do it. So the further along you can get it, the better quality you're going to get out of that resource that you hit up that's going to cost money. Now, one of the other pitfalls that I fell into because I just didn't have a lot of experience around that was the patent game, right? So we went down that road. We we started filing U.S. patents for for what we could, and then there's the question of whether or not you pursue international patents, and that gets into becomes a whole other ball of wax and cost and expense. And then there's the trademark money, and you know before you know it, you've spent a hundred grand just on patents and trademark attorneys over the course of a year or two, and all of this other stuff. It is crazy. Yeah. So tell tell educate us, please, because I can say yeah, it doesn't so work. Uh, so we learned pretty quickly, Todd's uncle, who invented the waterbed, filed patents. He, it was a patented product. But by the time he was able to sue everybody that violated his patent, probably 90% of the businesses had gone out of business already. So he still did well. But you know, there's a, there's a message in when you're going to do something, you know, there's certain products like the chili pad. We have a bunch of patents around that. There's other products that you do a design one. And then there's ones that you're going to know that it's going to, you're going to chase like a pool float, for example. You're not going to patent that very likely because it's going to change from year to year and be a different design. And you're, it's really more of a commodity item. So you're going to chase price. You're going to chase different things. So really sort of weigh the value of, of that. The other thing that patent attorneys don't tell you is you pay them this fee to file it. but 
there is not a single time just about in all of the patents we've done where there hasn't been an office action or something where it requires the attorney to continue to act on your behalf. So anybody that gives you an upfront, this is how much it's going to cost. You pay them that $10,000, let's say, and they're done. They're not done. This is a, an ongoing process. They need to be nurtured. Patents are like a garden. You wouldn't hire someone to plant everything and leave. You're going to pay sort of a subscription or some sort of long-term. That's how you really get that patent to be gardened and taken care of and managed over time. Because even once it's issued, you're going to have to enforce that patent. You're going to have to manage that patent. You're going to have to own that in the long term. And that's the much more expensive part of it. So you file a patent, but those maintaining that, we have a bunch of people in violation of our patents now. And that's, you know, a big part of building the case and figuring it out and strategizing because obviously you want to get that money back. But if they've gone out of business or they're not making enough to make it worthwhile, you can spend a lot of costs and you don't get a lot of rewards. So there is a balancing game that continues to go on with patents through the life of the patent. There's doing continuations on patents. And you when you look at a patent strategy of like looking at other people in your space, not just what you're doing, but what they're doing, what are your competitors going to be possibly patenting? What could someone patent around? So we've patented around other products that's bringing products to market. We've looked at a patent and said, okay, they've got holes here and here. I can do it this way. And it's the same thing, basically, but I violated their patent. Those sort of things happen all the time. When do you file a patent? Is it before the product goes live if you're on a budget and maybe it's an untested market? And does it need to to happen at a certain point in time to be defensible? Yeah, it has to be before it's in a public space. So. If you and I were in a conversation and you just signed a non-disclosure agreement, I could divulge what was going on to you because that's not a public conversation. Obviously, it is because we're on a podcast. But if it was you and I just having a conversation, then that doesn't count as public disclosure. But as soon as you're in the public eye, you really have to file that. Now, there are cheaper ways of like spreading that cost of doing a provisional and being really solid on your claims and your provisional. And then you're bumping some of that cost at least a year down the road. and You can make some of the choices of how much you spend and whether you go international and some of those decisions. And you've at least bumped it a year where there's a chance for some efficacy. But you really want to have that file date be before there's public disclosure or frankly, you won't get a patent. Yeah. Okay. So that's good to know. Yeah. The worst part, the worst part I remember was continuing to get patent-related bills from my patent attorney even after I had pulled the plug on the business. <laughs> so uh, that's just, you've got to wind these things down. And yeah, it was just- It, it was, is uh, really hard. Yeah. People don't realize that a patent really is, it's like a garden yeah. and like it's going to keep growing for 20 years. Yeah. So you really kind of need to know that you're in this business that you're doing for the long haul. Or the idea you have is 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 revolutionary enough that you're going to want to defend it and grow on it for 20 years. Now, let's talk a little bit about packaging, safety testing, and things that people probably don't think about. What does that process look like? Obviously, you've got a physical tech device. There's going to be, need to be a certain type of packaging to keep it intact and safe and transport. I would love to hear any advice you have around shipping and working with FedEx or UPS and how to how to lower your shipping costs. Most people don't realize that you can contact them, get a rep, 
and get significantly cheaper shipping prices than, than if you were doing it yourself via retail. What is that process all about? Yeah, so there's sort of two different things depending on what type of testing you're talking about. Like the UL testing or that ETL, you see some of those labels. What, especially yeah, on what, your... are, what are those for, for myself and others? Okay, so anytime you have a home appliance, it has to pass sort of safety testing. So, you know, you'll hear about recalls of unsafe products. Even those have generally gone through some sort of safety testing, depending on the, the complexity of it. If it's a home appliance, you have to have your every single component documented and tested different countries will have different standards. For example, our product, the Uller pad has some tinsel in it and it doesn't meet flame standards for Europe, but it does meet it for here. So we were we had to tweak our formula slightly so that it, it could apply to both markets. So there's, there's little nuances of, of how you work through that. We generally, because we're manufacturing in China, we go through, it's a UL Industries, but it's the unit that's based in China. So you want it close to your manufacturer so you can iterate around it. They can have access to all the components and the manufacturer and be able to prove all those pieces of it. That's just cost. It's part of doing business. Even Amazon now has standards on all of that. So it used to be the retailer would demand it. E-commerce made that a little bit unsure for a while, but now most places will require you to have some sort of testing if you have electronics. And it's generally just a good backup plan from an insurance perspective. All product liability insurance is going to require you to have some sort of testing, very likely. Mm, okay. Yeah. And then from the, the shipping perspective, absolutely negotiate the heck out of it. And it's amazing. We spent some time in this last year looking at our packaging, and literally we shaved off an inch on all three sides, and it was a huge savings. So it's amazing. It doesn't feel like that would make a big difference, but every inch truly matters in shipping. So be efficient on your packaging and negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. Every time you up a new order quantity, be in there saying, we're now shipping this. What can you do for us now? Mm. Are you? Is the shipping primarily by volume and space that it takes up in the truck or is it by weight? You know, it's kind of all the above. Okay. Space is the biggest factor, though. Okay. All right. Cool. And then from a packaging design standpoint, is that something that your manufacturers typically do as well? Or is that done at a separate facility with a different company? No, we do all of that in-house. You know, usually you can work through it depending on the savvy of your box manufacturer. They may help you work through sort of the viability of your designs. I do advise people to think about who's going to be packaging it. So if you're packaging it yourself or you're doing it on, you know, hand packaging, the ease of which that box comes together, folds down and opens and closes is huge and how long it may take for someone, you know, when you start timing the amount of time for each boxing mm. and making that efficient. So interesting. there, there is value in, in box design. Yeah, interesting. You know, everybody loves the whole Apple unboxing experience, right? Uh, and it's amazing how much time, effort, and thought that they put into into their packaging. But I hadn't thought of it from an efficiency standpoint, where if it takes 10% less time to actually put the thing together, that, that adds up <laughs> a lot over a long period. It is. The amazing of millions of simple little numbers that one by themselves, you're like, ah, oh, is that a really big deal? But 
the number of little things that add up to be a big thing in the end, watching every little cost, every little add-on is, is, is tough. Having a physical product, it's a technology device. How do you handle returns and, and support and things like that? You know, I think that's it's always a challenge. I feel like we're always trying to improve our customer service. You know, a lot of it is staffing, you know, and making sure you always have the right people. And, and we chase that always having the right people in the right seats. We do get returns. We do service. So we have staff that will take in a unit and evaluate it. If it's not something that's a serviceable for part of the warranty or that it's a new purchase for any reason, we'll service it. We then take what we call refurbs. Those refurbs are primarily donated to veterans. We have a program for veterans. Sleep is really important to mental health. In fact, as a side note, there's not a single 100% of all mental health illnesses have a sleep component, which is crazy when you think about it. There's not too many things that are 100, 100%. So we have a program where they can apply to get a free product. So that's where, that's where all the used or not, if there is a manufacturer defect, we fix it and patch it back together and, and that's where they go. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Very cool. What have I not asked that we need to know? <laughs> I don't know. We've covered a lot of products. I, I do feel like I've told you all the pitfalls of being an entrepreneur. Yeah. I do feel like there's, there is a wonderful life benefit to it with all the risks and all the roller coasters. It is an amazing ride. And you know, when you start to see success, it does feel a little bit like having a kid finally graduate high school. It is really like Chili Pad is, is, is a baby for us. It is, it's finally graduating and is, is kind of becoming its own thing. It's, it's, really, it's really fun and rewarding to be part of that experience. And I want to I actually reiterate that again real quick. When did you all launch the product? 2007. Okay. So 12 years ago now, almost 13. And when do you think it really finally caught on? Really, I, I think it really started to get traction about 2017. I was so going to say in the figure, last three like, or four it was, years. It was really like, there's a long time of, you know, we didn't take a salary. At least we had our other consulting business that paid the bills. You know, it was a lot of sitting and crossing our fingers. Honestly, what kept ChiliPad going through all of those sort of not awesome years was stories like yours or Tim Ferriss's, people that would say, this changed my life. And I'm like, if this changes people's lives, this is not like bringing one more airbed into Target. This is, this is special. There, there's nothing else we've ever done that creates a reaction. I actually ran into someone walking my dog the other day and, and they were like, you're the chili pad people. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, this product changed my life. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 17, but I've never made anything that changed, changed the world. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. So that, that's really what kept us and chili pad going on this project for those years, those 10 years of barely getting by with it. And so it is, it's fun to see it, it blossoming. It's amazing what can happen with patients. It is. It, it takes a lot of patience. I, I do feel like entrepreneurship is a test between sprinting and marathons. There's really not a lot of in between. Yeah. And, and it's more rewarded, but harder, I think, harder to pursue patience these days than ever before because everybody's so used to social media. And what do you mean? I, I launched this a month ago and I'm not a millionaire yet. What's, what's wrong? I'm quit, right? So <laughs> that's why. And I do. I see, we see people all the time that then resort to funding. 
and and money raise and then you sell your soul to somebody and you give away a good chunk of your company or, or uh, most of it even to sometimes yeah. and you know i think you know it goes back to the old business way of it has to be profitable think about being profitable as soon as you possibly can don't wait for profitability to become i i really feel like that's going to be the new metric at some point investors are going to get tired of of investing and losing and don't bank all of your bucks on investment. Bank it on you and your profitability and be smart business first. I couldn't agree more. I, I've never taken on funding. I've thought about it, but I've never done it. And I just don't want that pressure, right? I don't. Yeah, literally, if it wasn't the type of people it was and the influencers it was, we wouldn't have either. It, when you take on funding, you're getting in bed with them. And I know there's a pun there, but it's Truly, it's like a business relationship. You're you're married to them for as long as that relationship is. And if it isn't awesome, being married to something that isn't awesome isn't awesome. <laughs> no, There's no. just no way around it. Yeah. No, I've I've invested in many companies. Some have done great, others have not. And the ones that are not, it becomes a very awkward position to be in, especially if you're friends with that person first and then they don't do a very good job of managing the business. It changes a lot of things and it it's just not a fun position to be in. So yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Profit is first and foremost, I think the the single most important thing. And guess what? If you do want to take on money to then grow and expand, the terms you're gonna get are up to you. Yes. That you own you have the leverage. Yeah. I, I do. I it's not to say that that raising money isn't bad. We we are um looking in the app space and software development and we may do a fundraise but you know it is only because we're looking to expand you know in a way that's beyond our profitability but that core thought of manage your business own your business like own those numbers is really important do you guys have an exit number do you have obviously this is a passion project for y'all it's profitable it's doing really well you're 10x in a year there's no reason to sell but do you do you have an event where you're going to be like oh okay so the, there's multiple answers to that. I'm sure everybody has a number. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is this is definitely our baby. The patents I've put forth patents that we haven't even started to develop on. The idea of sleep as a place to heal is only starting as a place where you have to do this. And so why not do healing interventions? Why not do other things while you sleep that help you heal? Mm. The deep sleep zone is a really powerful time to do healing interventions. And we see protecting the sleep space from 5G and other interactions, Mm. grounding those kind of future states as part of this sleep equation. So I don't see us wanting to get out because I still have ideas that haven't I even have patents pending so more than 20 years in the future of patents to garden so mm, cool. it's it's hard to imagine exiting at this point anyway well congrats that's awesome so Tara let's uh I know we're we're running short on time and coming up to our limit here where can folks go to learn more about chili pad pick one up and is there something we can do from a discount perspective for any of our audience that might want to buy one yeah, so you get 20% off a chili pad if you go to getchilipad.com. Awesome. All right. That's very cool. Very generous of you. Thank you for that. So guys, you can go to getchilipad.com to pick one up. I highly recommend it. I've been using mine for over a year now. Love it. And when you see both of them, you'll see the original chili pad and the, and the new Uller. I would get the Uller. It's a couple hundred bucks more, but that's going to definitely be worth it for you. Uh, I'm going to definitely upgrade and 
get one of the newer ones now that I know it's out. And uh, Tara, thank you so much. This was such an educational interview. We just, I mean, covered so much ground. And this is such manufacturing, inventing a product, physical product like this. There's so many things that you need to know about ahead of time that are landmines that'll just cost you so much time, money, and effort if you don't know about them ahead of time. So I really do appreciate you sharing all of your experiences with us here uh, on the interview today. No problem. It's great to be here. Yeah, a fun, fun trip of, of stories. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, gals, thank you so much for listening. As always, if you know someone who is thinking about developing a product right now, make sure you get this episode in their hands and then head to getchilipad.com to pick one up for your bedroom. You're absolutely going to love it. And Tara, thank you once again for joining us. We'll see y'all next week. Take it.